Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, cultural moments we are living for, including Oscar red carpet looks like Billy Porter's tuxedo gown, Jason Momoa's scrunchie, and Selma Blair's cane. Also, Pen15 and revisiting the traumas of early teendom, and an amazing obituary for soul singer Jackie Shane. Aloha, Ann Freeman. Hello, hello, hello. How's it going over there? You know, bodies are struggling, but we are here. I know. I've been making a quilt, baby's first full-size quilt. So I've been watching a ton of TV and listening to a lot of podcasts lately, which is a delight, except that I could only kind of half watch TV or like watch things that are focused on like the the sound or dialogue portion like that are not heavily visual because I'm not staring at the TV the whole time. That's what's going on with me. I love that. What about you? I I cannot watch a lot of TV because a lot of the non-book work that I'm doing when I'm not writing this book with you is that I'm just unpacking boxes from the apartment that I moved into mm, three months ago that I have only lived in for like 10 days. So, oh, so we're both half watching TV right, right now. Well, no, I'm not watching TV at all because I just like, I can't do both at the same time, but I, um, I'm listening to a lot of, uh, I'm listening to a lot of records that I know back to front because it's the only thing that keeps me going. But what I do want to do is just sit down and watch all the television in the world. So when I feel like I've done sufficient amount of unpacking, I just retreat into my computer. Did you watch the Oscars this year? You know, I started off not watching the Oscars and then got sucked in like halfway through. I didn't realize that there wasn't a presenter until, you know, I was like, well, this is really breezing through. Why is this less annoying than past years? I was like, oh, nobody's presenting this mess. That's why. Do this every year. Right. There's no tap dancing Billy Crystal or whatever taking up hours right. of your time. <laughs> right. There's no like, hi, we we brought some fast food to some regular people who are on the hall. You know, like, I, thank you. Like all of that nonsense was gone. So, yes, I did watch part of the Oscars. It was less bad than in years that I've watched it. Wow. I don't watch every year, but I, I had like a stoner Oscar viewing date with some friends this year. And I texted you 
at the very beginning of the red carpet when I clocked the pink velvet scrunchie on Jason Momoa's wrist, which obviously became a thing and rightfully so. And you were like, I'm not watching. And then like fast forward an hour and I was like, she's tweeting. Like, what are you talking about? Because you made me realize it was a thing to watch. (laughs) But yes. Oh my God. The scrunchie. Yes, please. Remember, remember when it was like, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. Like everyone had to append the word man to buns. Like it couldn't be just like they're wearing a bun or a ponytail. It had it's to a be man a man bun. bun. Right. Oh my God, and, was this and, a man scrunchie? <laughs> exactly. Well, I was going to say I clocked a little bit of progress because no one was like Jason Momoa's man scrunchie. Everyone was just like, it's a scrunchie. And I was like, thank you. No more romp him. No more man bun. Like we can just call these items what they are no matter who is wearing them. And that felt like this tiny bit of progress, like on a language level that went unacknowledged. I'm so impressed that you're seeing a tiny bit of progress in an event that is just mired in like lack of progress. I'll take it. Listen, I mean, I, I am not here to argue that the Oscars are not mired in, in like the worst tendencies of the entertainment industry. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but they also this year also gave us like Billy Porter's tux dress like what do you call it like what do you call that first of all it was a gown it was a tuxedo gown it was okay tuxedo gown it was beautiful that was one of those things that like i saw that on the carpet i was like everybody should go home because nobody will top this also made by christian siriano who has really made a name for himself in dressing lots of different types of bodies which respect Right. It was like way to have a great business model. And also, I just love that Billy Porter's, you know, the tuxedo gown was inspired by Hector Extravaganza. I love a gender norm twisting tuxedo dress look. I also just love a recall to like beautiful ancestors that we have. And, you know, and just like generally challenging everybody's idea of what is like what is okay to wear. Also, did you notice that it was like definitely... um what are those called? Like when you can like rip the thing off? Yes. It, it was sort of like, it was like a peplum thing, a removable peplum. I don't know what it's actually right. called. Like what is it called when the pants do it? Like a rip away, a throw away, a fly tear away, like, <laughs> a tear away. There's a word for that. I was like, what is it me? called when the pants do it? <laughs> <laughs> this, like it was beautiful. Also, did you see the hotel room um, like next day, like Billy Porter in his hotel, just in bed drinking champagne. It was glorious. It was so perfect. Also, did you see the photo of him in the tuxedo gown, like in a golf cart headed to the red carpet where it was just like layers and layers of velvet, like spilling out over the sides? It was 100%. Also, more importantly, like the gif of the night, did you see Glenn Close like looking at the gown and losing her mind? Yes. We're going to link to all of these in the show notes. (laughs) P.S. I, I did, and it was incredible. And honestly, if I had been able to witness this look in like real life, I would have given the same glance that Glenn did. One hundred percent. It was uh, like it was like a list of lu- like a look of both lust for that look and respect for it and appreciation. I love that Glenn Close dressed like an Oscar, but did not win an Oscar. Mm. Did you hear her say that her beaded look was like forty plus pounds of oh. sequins? Trust, trust. As a half-tuned-in person this year, I did not love a lot of the looks on this carpet, which is also why Billy Porter will have my heart forever. Well, it's interesting because I think I used to be someone who 
was perhaps more appreciative of just a nice gown. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like this is a pretty gown. I think that like in in years past, maybe that would have been enough for me to be like, okay, like that's a good look. And this year I'm like, we are like deep in uh, a really horrible presidential era. Like, like shit is under attack. Like maybe, uh, you know, just kind of a gender confirmed confirming pretty look is not enough. And like, maybe I'm more excited by like either going way over the top, like Linda Cardellini's like pink puffball situation <laughs> um, or something that feels like more, more gender transgressive or like more um, arty, frankly, than like, just like, this is a nice gown. I know. I really yearn for the day that starlets will really challenge a little more like what expectations of them are on a carpet. I understand the reasons that they don't and the double standard that is there with how men and women dress. But the fact that the carpet is so like gender normy is exactly the problem. And so hopefully that day will come. Hopefully it will come, but it needs to come sooner. Yeah. In prepping for last week's interview, I was rereading some old Gloria Steinem essays and there was this aside in something from, you know, the eighties about how, androgyny is becoming more acceptable like this is her words but it's always interpreted as tending toward like traditional masculine dress so like anyone in a suit is coded as androgynous it's you know historically has not been like someone like billy porter in a tuxedo gown right and and Mm -hmm. um we'll link to a vogue interview that billy porter did where he talks about this a little bit of like actually gender neutrality does not mean defaulting to a masculine look it kind of means everybody playing in a lot of different directions and i think there were a few like a few good nods this year toward like what a future could look like where everyone is playing around with all of their gendered options. Love it. You know, like one look that I loved, loved, loved in all of the photo coverage of the the parties after was um, Selma Blair. Selma Blair is my queen forever and ever and ever. Like I love all of the, the wackadoodle choices that she makes. And recently she disclosed that she was given an, an MS diagnosis and she has been like very generous and open about talking, about talking about her illness and talking about disability. And she does it in this like very straightforward, open, matter of fact way, keeps it super real. And she acknowledges the amount of pain that she is in, which it's just been like very touching to read about. And watching her, like, waltz down this, like, Vanity Fair party scene and she has this, like, glorious cane that she is she is wearing was, it made me tear up so much. We think a lot about disability as something that you have to overcome. That's always the language around it. And I love that, like, in just this, like, very strong visual, she completely shatters that. And it's like, nope, like, I'm here I like, here is my cane. This is me. This is my pain. I'm also a human being who does human being things. And you don't, you don't get to define me. I thought it was just like really beautiful. Um, There's a great interview that she gave in Vanity Fair that we will link in the show notes. And then her uh, Good Morning America interview with Robin Roberts, also iconic, you know, and in both she talks about how she was really scared about talking about being sick because she thought that it meant that people would not hire her to work and watching her like really push back against that is great. 100%. And also just like, you know, still serving us iconic looks to go back to our runway conversation. I mean, like just looking a hundred percent incredible and like fully in charge of her choices and her aesthetic in a way that is, yeah, like pretty, pretty fucking inspiring. 
I love this. Kane is such a strong look. Like, the look is strong. Love Selma Blair forever. I am excited about this era of Selma Blair work. It's going to be iconic. Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me, Aminatu. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Tell me what else you're excited about. So the other thing that I'm doing when I am not unpacking <laughs> is watching TV at the end of the day and just like retreating into the fact that my house is a mess is uh, I've been watching Pen15. It's like Hulu teen, like millennial teen girl uh, situation. And it is. Wait, is it Pen15? Pen15? Pen15. It's penis. And I've been watching penis. The Hulu's <laughs> new comedy penis. <laughs> and it's really I it bring like I can't even talk about it because it's two things. It's like one I'm like, "Yes, I am so happy that there is like a middle school like girl gross out comedy." And at the same time, it is triggering every single middle school memory <laughs> that I have, and it's too much to watch. So the just a little bit about this show. The creators who also star in it are IRL friends who are in their uh, early 30s and they play the, their, their adult selves like them today. They play themselves in seventh grade and all the other actors cast as their classmates are actual seventh graders, which um, is usually very funny Um occasionally like super cringeworthy and and like sometimes I'm like oh my god like they are I do not know how they're getting away with this kind of thing but by and large the fact that they are so conspicuous in these adult bodies actually does the job of making you or at least making me tap into feeling so conspicuous in a newly semi-adult body as an actual 13 year old that's so real you know and also like uh 
obviously in this family, we love watching Big Mouth. And <laughs> Maya Rudolph forever and ever and ever. Maya Amen. Rudolph forever. Uh, you know, like a hormone monster feelings forever. And, and, you know, and we've watched like Big Mouth as like Team CYG together, like a delightful like post tour. How do we turn our brains off? And and I cannot believe that in all of my enjoyment and watching of that, it had not occurred to me that it, there was a possibility that there could be something like Big Mouth, like centered around like young women's bodies. And every episode of uh, Penis, Pen15, <laughs> every episode of Pen15 like challenges everything that I think I know about um, just how gendered our expression of like, like sexuality is for like young girls. And it's been, I just, like I cannot tell you how much I cringe at watching the show. Like I cringe and I laugh, like just at the same time. And it truly is hysterical. I I just don't, I don't know. Like, well, well played. Well played, Hulu. So wait, okay. Tell me who was like 13 year old Aminatu? Like what are, what is like, tr- what are the cringe triggers in this show specifically for you? Because I feel like I have a few of mine. So I am only two years removed from when, uh, from, from where these, uh, these beautiful humans are in 2000, cause this is in 2000 In 2000, I was in 10th grade. So it's still like, it still holds like pretty true. The places that the show has taken me that I just like could not believe are one, the, the school band and choir situation. <laughs> like I actually taking screamed. you back to your flautist years. Oh my God. <laughs> Baby Amina playing flute. And also like I couldn't sing. So like I did not join choir because choir was social suicide at my school. Um, but I was also like, and that's like an utterance that I have made. Uh, you know, everybody was in choir except for me. All of the girls were in choir except for me. Cause I was the only one that couldn't sing the performance. I think it's the fourth episode really 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 destroyed me i just remember looking at other friends who were like very musically gifted and i'm feeling like hopeless or having a few days to learn a part that you should have just been practicing for like months and months and months and then that tension of like my dad like coming or not coming to the school thing is something like it was too much it was just like too it was too much it was just too much the performance aspects of middle school were just, I couldn't, I could not handle. I have to say that like, I picture you as like a forever cool person, like more Lizzo with the flute than like, <laughs> like band nerd with the flute because, because truly like, it's a funny thing when, when there are friends who you've only known as adults who like, I, truly I'm like, you were, you've just been forever cool to me. It's like very difficult for me to picture any Listen. band awkwardness. Listen, I know that I was cool in middle school. I just don't think that there was consensus from other people that I was cool. And also, there is no way to get out of middle school without, like, a thousand humiliations. And so, like, that's what it was. Also, the opening scene where Maya's mom gives her a bowl cut, like, slayed me. Because, like, I... like. I did not have a bowl cut, but this thing of like your mom. You did in the early aughts when it was cute and alt. I did. I I brought it back in the early aughts. I did not have one in middle school, but just (laughs) this thing of like making a very bad, uh, you know, like style decision, like giving yourself layers or whatever, or like bad bangs. And then your mom has to fix it in like an immigrant mom kind of way. Like that also was too much for me to handle. I was like this, this is like a lot, a lot, a lot. Maya and Anna's friendship is so cute because 
they pump each other a lot and they reassure each other all the time but truly they're just like mired in self-doubt and they don't know what they're doing that was a lot or when Maya gets called the ugliest girl in school that really destroyed me it really really destroyed me like going back to that era you know like not that adults don't do this like we we've obviously seen this in our adult lives but that instinct of like ranking people and just how and how much more devastating it is at that age because your world is so much smaller also it's just, yeah i mean it's it really little, gets at the cruelty it's a you know it's a lot but then also like remembering that like maya and anna can also be cruel you know where they're like i'm not as ugly as xyz or whatever like everybody has their own everybody has their own line another thing that that show like brought brought out so much was you know like it's like the masturbation episode is so good it's so good and it's so transgressive because it's like oh i was like you know big mouth kind of does this but it's a cartoon like this is real life like young girls getting uh stimulated by truly like anything which was also hilarious i was like yes the spectrum of which of things that turn on like young girls is like mad it's amazing like the double standard between like expectations around young girls sexuality and the shame that they feel about it and young men's when it's like it's an expectation that they will explore that part of their that part of their their body and their sexuality was really that was like very painful to watch yeah and it really made me wonder how much some of this is changing if at all because like i obviously didn't talk openly to my friends in like junior high or early high school about like how often we were all rubbing one out right like that was not like this open in very unglamorous places <laughs> oh please are you kidding like yes i i just find myself wondering i mean for daughters of some like maybe awesome feminist parents or maybe kids who are growing up with decent sex ed like things like um getting your period or maybe destigmatized a little bit from generations past. And I, I wonder about other expressions of sexuality. And I wonder if today it's still seen as incredibly gross and shameful that like a young girl would be horny all the time. Whereas her male peers are like already starting to like watch porn together or that, that is a scene from that episode as well of like the boys kind of being open about um, starting to have, a sexual identity and the girls are being very like pushed to keep it to themselves, have a lot of shame around it. I mean, that whole episode is about um, the shame that Maya feels because she's jerking off all the time. And yeah, you know, but also it's so visceral in this way where you just like see her like wiping her, <laughs> like wiping her <laughs> hands across the carpet or like going real, like a humping the pillow. And I'm like, this is, this is real. This is so real. And I am screaming and cringing and loving it at the same time yeah the episode the episode that i really related to the most is um the t hong episode oh my god <laughs> i thought um, about you when i saw that. not because of the specific like not because of their relationship to this thong that like so the the plot summary which is not a spoiler is that they come into possession, the two of them, they, they come to possess a single thong between them. And when they wear it, they feel like this sense of like, you know, extreme sexual power and confidence um, when they walk down the halls of the school. And it's like this talisman almost, right? Like it's this, it's this symbol, this loaded symbol of adult femininity or something like that. And I, 
I did not have any T-Hong experiences when I was 13, but I do relate to that feeling of like, there are certain items that have almost mythic power because they represent um, a femininity that is only associated with adults or that is like primarily associated with sex and being a sexual being and that I did not have access to or I couldn't express interest in openly. Like for me, it was more like makeup and baby tees. Like I remember I bought a baby tee at the mall once and it was like maybe a little bit of belly was exposed because I have a long torso. And I remember like my mother being like, are you really like going to look like that? Not so much in the sense of you young harlot or whatever, but more in the sense of like almost judging that I was trying to get ahead of myself sexually or something like that. Like I remember a lot of shame over like wanting to wear that. I remember a lot of shame over like wanting to wear mascara or something like that and, um, and reaching for certain things that now as an adult are like no big deal. Like sure. Wear a thong if you want. Sure. Wear mascara. If you want, (laughs) wear a, wear a belly revealing shirt if you want. Um, it's just like a funny, it's, it really put me back in a, in a specific emotional place. It just means so much. Like, like for me, that was always, uh, I loved showing a little bit of bra strap. So I love that Anna does it. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remember as a yeah, middle schooler, definitely always being like, oh yeah, like I wear a bra. Like here's a little, here's a tiny bit of strap. Like it was always showing. And I remember going to the mall to buy a shirt that was definitely too sheer. I don't know how I got away with wearing it because like my wow, parents Wow, you and the me. sheer shirts forever. <laughs> I know. But it's like the kind of thing where like today, now I'm like, that's haram. I can't wear that shirt. But, <laughs> but and you do anyway. I know, and I do anyway. But you know, like I, but I just I cannot I can't believe that my parents let me get away with it, and I cannot believe that it was the shirt that I had the confidence to wear. But I also remember just that tension of you wore the thing, and because it made you feel good in your body, it made you feel, you know, or it made you feel like adult, or like you were doing something that you were getting away with. But at the same time, like, I could never handle the attention that came with it. That was always, like, a line that I was negotiating for myself. Like, I just did not know. The other thing that I, like, endlessly appreciate about um, about Maya and Anna, like, being 31 and all of these boys being, like, 13 or whatever is that it is truly that reality of, like, all of the boys that I had crushes on at that time were, like, a tenth of my size. They were always like these tiny, small human beings. And all of the girls that I knew were like growing at like astronomical rates. And so that always just kills me and makes me laugh. It makes me very happy. hundred percent. A hundred percent. It makes me very happy. That feeling of being like too big for the world or being this like overgrown beast is like a feeling that I definitely had at that age. It's interesting because in their interview, they say that they wanted to make the show because they went to a party together as adults and were feeling many awkward feelings that they had thought were perhaps relegated to their junior high selves. And they realized that this stuff just keeps recurring. And one of the great pleasures of watching the show is being able to do some self excavation of like, okay, what are the things from my like teen and preteen experience that keep recurring that like I I still continue to feel and like that feeling of like oh god I'm wearing a baby tee before I'm fully ready is occasionally something I experience when I'm like okay like I'm gonna like push this fashion boat out a little bit further than maybe I'm comfortable (laughs) and see if I'm ready like you know like or let that feeling of being like the biggest person in the room like you know some of that stuff really it's deep in there you know it's really embedded 
Right. It's so, that's so funny. The thing too that I love is just this, again, it's like content about about late bloomers, you know? And everybody just keeps saying that they're a late bloomer. And now I'm just like, are we just all, did we just all bloom on time and American Pie lie to us about when you were supposed to be peaking? All of this media that is, like, especially this teenage stuff that's, like, made by men for men. That imagery and, like, iconography, like, just does not exist for us. And so I love that. I love that things like this show are creating that. Right. Like, Sweet Valley High, they were not, like, wiping their, like you know, the fluid off their fingers into the carpet. You know what I mean? Like they were (laughs) babysitters club. (laughs) Yeah. Babysitters club was, was not about like, well, actually maybe there was some like attempts in babysitters club to talk about like, for example, racism and how it plays out in like teen popular politics. I don't actually remember, but like, that's another great example of like things that you're like, wow, in retrospect, like with the modern politics, I have some things that were going on are so starkly obvious. And when you are muddling through it without much language um, for describing that experience you're having, whether it's sexuality or racism or, um, you know, stuff about your body, whatever it might be, it's really difficult in real time. Right. Also, the like, yeah, the racial politics of the show also like really made me very emotional. Maya's relationship with her family and with her, you know, her like own Japanese heritage and Anna <laughs> learning wokeness in real time on AOL. <laughs> and just like all of the ways that we hurt each other and, you know, like or don't have a vocabulary for what we're feeling. That made me it made me like incredibly emotional. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm also curious because, you know, given what you were just saying about media or narratives not always reflecting teen girl experiences, is there something that you remember reading or watching when you were a teenager that you felt really seen by? <laughs> no, I was reading The Economist when I was a teenager. Oh my God, uh, I'm throwing this microphone across the room. I don't even believe you. This is why I thought you were like Lizzo with the flute, not awkward person with the flute. I'm like, you listen, have always been the coolest. <laughs> listen, I, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't remember reading anything where I felt seen, but I remember reading a lot. Um, I remember reading and watching things where I was like, oh, like I, my entire experience of being in, in middle school and especially in high school was just one of like, I cannot wait for this to be over. Like I'm just biding my time, you know? And uh, it wasn't like, it wasn't traumatic at all. All of the middle school and high school indignities happened to me, but I like truly didn't care. That's like the good thing about going to a very small school when you are as like emotionally cocky as me is looking at all these people and going like, okay, I was like, I'm sorry. Like you don't get to be the arbiter of like what is good or bad. Like we're all going into a bigger world where I will find my people. But I also like just don't remember looking at any, you know, like any media where I was like, oh, like I am, uh, you know, like I'm an international like black fat person. Like what is where am I feeling seen? Like, I don't remember that at all, but I do remember reading a lot of like, you know, like a uh, feminist text and being like, oh, like these people think like me and one day I will be around people who think like this. And so that experience of feeling very seen, like reading something or watching something, that didn't happen to me until I want to say like three Sundances ago <laughs> when I watched like a French movie. It's like, oh, this is wild. But yeah. Aww. did When did you have this experience? Tell me. 
Well, I don't know. I really, um, I was super high recently and revisiting Bjork's Post, which was an album that was very important to me in my early teen years. And there's a song on that album that is essentially about like longing for someone you haven't met yet or like not it's not about like teen longing in the sense of I have a crush on you like person sitting two desks over from me but it was more like I realize much like you were saying that like the bigger world is waiting for me and I will find things and people who make sense to me outside this fishbowl that I'm currently in it's called I Miss You, LOL. It's like a dancey, oh. like fun <laughs> song. But I remember listening to that song and just feeling like very seen. You know, she is not like, ugh, like, why won't he love me longing in that, like, Romeo and Juliet style way that was very ascendant when I was a teenager. It's it's basically like her her singing about how she thinks she's cool and great and, like, someday someone is going to appreciate that, too. And, like, that is 100% like where I was because the thing I don't relate to in Pen 15, Pen 15 penis um, is is the fact that like they really are extremely hungry for the approval of their classmates. And I, I remember being very stung by like being made fun of by my classmates, but I don't ever remember being like their approval is the important thing. Like I didn't think they were that cool. You know what I mean? Like I no. had, I, I was like, Bjork is cool. Like you are not that cool. Definitely not. So, I, yeah. I really relate with that. And I think that is a, you know, now I'm just now I'm just like have the interlude of I miss you stuck in my head. <laughs> I mean, maybe Gina can play said, a clip for us. Isn't that when she says like, "When will I get my cuddle? Who are you?" When will I get my cuddle? Oh my god! Thank you. No, and and then she says, "Who are you?" And it's like, yes, like yes. I am not in love with this floppy-haired boy two desks over. I am in love with some like faceless future person. Yeah. I know. That's the thing. It's like whenever I watch these like middle school or high school nostalgia content. I just don't feel values aligned and not in a sense where, you know, like, I don't think <laughs> I, I think that it is truly like a different, different strokes for different folks, strokes, LOL, um, different strokes for different folks uh, kind of situation here, because I so did not care about the approval of my peers. Like, I just I just did not care at all. And it's not to say that everybody was bad. There are people I went to high school with who listened to this podcast. You're fine. It wasn't that. <laughs> it's just that I was a very, like, from the time that I remember being, like, a person who had my own thoughts, I was so focused on the future. Just always wanted to be older. Always wanted to not be where I was. And I think also for me, so much of that was tied into everywhere that I lived was so... It was like my parents' job, my dad's job was so the like driver for the entire lifestyle that we had, that all I wanted was to make my own decisions. Whether it was like, where will I live? Like, where will, you know, which granted, like every child has that. I think that for me, it just presented in this very specific kind of way. I was so focused on like being an older person. Like I wanted to be 18 the entire time I could think like after I was born. And then once I was 18, I was like, I can't wait to be 30. And now I'm like very focused on 65. So it's just <laughs> <laughs> like, this is just who I am. 
there was nobody that I wanted to be such good friends with in middle school that it also altered like my feelings about that. But you know, also what it was is that I just did not have, um, I did not have a person like that, like Maya and Anna have for each other. My Maya or my Anna was a composite of many different people, but there was never just like one person that I was like, I'm experiencing all of life with you. And I just, I was never a pair probably until got to college. And I was like, okay. I was like, I am now experiencing all of the middle school feels that a lot of people got out of the system a long time ago. Like I'm doing that in reverse. Well, see, I actually, I was in a Maya Anna dynamic in high school. Shout out to Bridget, who is still one of my best besties. But you would have to like put some black lipstick on one of them and like make her more sullen and detached from the world of high school in a in a different way from than I was. But like 100%, I relate with the kind of beautiful codependence of the tween girlhood. Oh my God. Um, Did you guys go to the dance together? Oh my God, we did not go to the dance. Are you kidding? Like we would have, you, no, we did not go to dances. We did not go to like farm kids drinking by a bonfire events that the cool kids did. Like we watched Absolutely Fabulous and played Tetris and got stoned and drank soda together. Like that's what we did. That's so funny. Were you also friends? You know what? I take it back. I was in a friendship like that. Like I did have one year of that, but that's because I was always friends with kids who were older. I did have that in high school. Shout out to Agnes. And then she graduated on me. And then I had to be in that place for myself for two years. It was awful. Um, I think part of the reason that this also just never resonates for me is that I was always friends with older kids. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Then I had to like navigate that cruel, cruel world by myself. So it's fine. I also have a disproportionate number of friends even today who are in that kind of like three to four years older than I am range. Like not everyone, but like a disproportionate number for sure. Totally. I also really liked being by myself. That was the other thing. That's something that has like not changed. I've always greatly enjoyed my own company. Oh, 100%. Like me in my room for hours just pushing around candles that I had. Like I'm like, how did my parents let me have so many lit candles? It was like a weird ass altar in there. Tell me where you where baby Ann was buying candles. This is this is cracking me up. What kind of candles are we talking about? Garage sales. Like I I did all of my shopping. Were they like cool candles or were they just candles? Like what was going on? What do you mean? Like cool candles didn't happen until the like well into the two thousands. This was just like probably holiday decorative candles that I bought and assembled to just burn stuff and like push the wax around while I was bored in my room alone making mixtapes. Like not even kidding. You know, I was talking to a friend who is a parent right now and we were supposed to hang out. Shout out to the parents who do a lot. They raise the babies. But like there was just like no time to hang out that week because there were so many activities. There were just like so many activities. The kids do so many activities. And this friend has like older kids. They're teenagers. And I was talking to her about this and I was like, you know what? Like, I just feel that kids today are not allowed to be bored anymore. So much of my childhood was being bored. And I want to say that some of my best ideas and my best time came from like not having to do anything at all. I'm pretty sure that this is like an Atlantic slash like New York Times Sunday review. Like, let your kids be bored more. Like, I'm sure I have read that at some point. Oh, my God. Somebody should write it because the kids are not bored. The kids are always doing activities and it's not cool. Mostly it's not cool for me because I'm friends with your parents and I would like to hang out with them. So stop doing activities. Uh, I feel like we've gone so far into our like teen self like rabbit hole. I did. We were like, I know. 
I guess that's like what watching a show like this is about, though, is it's not just watching the show. It's about watching your own teen self. And clearly that's what we're both doing. I know, you know, and uh, American Pie doesn't make me feel that way. Even Big Mouth that I love doesn't make me feel that way. So shout out to Pen15, Penis, Pen15. You are, <laughs> you are, you are doing it. Like that just, it feels, um, it feels good to be seen in a, in a small and a big way. So before we go, I just want to shout out to a fantastic obit that I read this week for the soul singer Jackie Shane. Are you familiar with her? Of course, Jackie Shane, the best. I did not know a lot about Jackie Shane, though, until I read this obit, which made me very sad. So last year, they re-released some of her older records some of her older tracks, including this song, Any Other Way, which I listened to a lot and played out. Tell her that I'm happy. Tell her that I'm gay. Tell her I'll be happy any other way. I was clearly not reading the press about Jackie Shane. I did not know that she was a trans woman. And she had been giving some later in life interviews, like including a profile um, in the New York Times in 2017, where the wisdom that she is coming out with is just incredible. She's like a one woman Pinterest mood board of amazing quotes, including like this idea of what you were born to be or where you are born does not have to determine who you are for the rest of your life. I mean, she emigrated to Canada after she witnessed some acts of racialized violence in the U.S. and basically never looked back. And she did an interview with the CBC right before she died where she said, most people are planted in someone else's soil, which means they're a carbon copy. I say to them, uproot yourself, get into your own soil. You may be surprised who you really are. You know, I, I just like, I you know, that. I love a plant metaphor for life. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait till the people read our book, Plant Metaphor, every four <laughs> lines. Um, no, I really love that. I love a good obituary that is actually chronicling like people, the people of our times that are doing fantastic things and not just like old white men that we're supposed to know about. Yeah, 100%. And We'll link, we'll link to the obit so you can read it, um, which links to a bunch of other great articles and interviews with Jackie Shane, whose music you should also check out. I mean, a soul mm-hmm. icon. A soul yeah. icon. It's the best. All right. Well, and I, I guess I'll see you on the internet then. <laughs> I'll see you in person, boo-boo. Oh, my God. You're so right. Book zone. I'll see I you know. in the book zone. I'll see you in the book zone. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download the show anywhere you listen to your faves or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. 
Original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. Our associate producer is Destry Maria Sibley. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.